Hello everyone, uh, it's uh, JB Gruet again, and thank you for coming back on our uh, podcast related to DEI. Uh, again, today I have the pleasure to be joined with um, Mercedes Nafisi D'Angelo, who is an expert in the field. So, Mercedes, in, uh, in part one of this podcast, you uh, made a few reference to, to what uh, leaders uh, can do, you know, how can organizations teach leaders to be inclusive? So would you mind uh, maybe uh, expanding a little bit more on, uh, on that topic? Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be back with you again, JB. I really enjoyed the first podcast. I, I think that the starting point is first for leaders to decide how serious they are about it, you know, and if they're really willing to put the effort where the intention is. So psychological safety is one of the most important things that psycho, uh, that high-performing teams have. And psychological safety, unfortunately, is not that easy to create. It requires a lot of effort. And one of the biggest things is in agreeing to disagree and having constructive and positive disagreements. And this is important because in disagreement, we really analyze what we're doing. In, in looking at the pros and cons, we understand it. We, we defeat brain think. We defeat um, being stuck with the same old way of doing things. Innovation means risk, and not all organizations are open to risk. So one of the, the biggest things, I believe, is creating that psychological safety. But without self-awareness, and I think that's the biggest piece to start with. Without self-awareness, you really can't get to the deeper stuff, which is psychological safety. So organizations can start by creating understanding of what DEI means and learning what are the things that interfere with DEI? What are the things that sabotage inclusion? And it could be something as small as a comment like, oh, you're always interrupting people. True. In Latin American countries, for example, uh, interruption is a cultural way, not all of them, but some of the Latin American countries. Interruption is a way of showing engagement. Certainly for Puerto Rico, it's true. We talk at the same time that others are talking. It's something that has been shown not to be considered disrespectful, Yet when speaking to many other cultures, it can seem incredibly disrespectful. And these are things that we're, we're taught at a very, very young age through our cultural patterning formation. It's just like JB. Think about in China how a, a mother and a father teach their children to look down, to show respect, to show humility to their peer, parents or their superiors. What do we do in the United States? We tell our kids, hey, honey, look at me in the eye when I'm talking to you. Something as simple as that can be misconstrued. And so if we don't have awareness of the microaggressions that can cut people and hurt their communication and sense of security within the group, then, then we're lost. So the first thing is to create awareness. And then the next thing is to teach leaders especially how to intervene. You can't create a culture of inclusion 
if you're allowing people to wittingly or unwittingly, because unconscious bias and conscious bias do play a, a big role in this. If we don't correct it, it continues. And I like to use, in the United States, we use the expression, the rotten apple in the barrel that ruins the rest of the barrel. I like to use the expression that I invented, <laughs> the, the moldy strawberry in, in the bowl. One moldy strawberry can pass that mold on almost instantaneously overnight. And that's something that really is very hard to realize the power of one negative person, one negative leader to really be a toxic influence on your efforts to create that intentional culture of inclusion. For so, sure, I'm sure we, we've, we all have seen that, right? Uh, right. Obviously, yeah, play. So how do you stop that, actually? How do you stop that bad apple uh, or, or moldy strawberry to... to, to uh, Great question. Uh, if, I the race, solution, yeah. if I had the solution to that, I might be a millionaire. But uh, I think the best way is to acknowledge it and to face it. It takes courage. It takes courage to be uh, to be globally competent. It takes courage to be an ally, to stand up for people. And it takes courage to stop people from behaving inappropriately. So uh, nurturing courage and fostering courage is important. And also having strict um, rules of engagement. And I found that many of the high-performing teams, if not the vast majority of high-performing teams, have precisely that. They, they have rules of engagement, and it includes how we talk to each other and includes standing up for those who are marginalized. So there's a lot to do, a lot of work to do. But in the end, that one toxic person is dangerous. And if that person doesn't get on board, if that person is coached confidentially on how to address their toxicity and their behavior and doesn't respond, that person has to be ter terminated. And I know this sounds kind of brutal, but nobody, I learned this working with you many years ago when our boss, our VP once told us, told me, no company should be beholden or enslaved by one employee. We cannot be so dependent on one employee that we can't thrive without them. And I think that was a beautiful expression when it comes to DEI. If someone is toxic, you give them the chances to change, and if they're not capable of it, you let them go. Yeah, thank you. That's uh, it's a great point. So I was going to ask you, you, you know, you talked earlier about the, uh, how organizations can teach leaders, uh, and you covered that greatly. I was going to ask you how managers uh, should tackle DEI and, and apply best practices when it comes to, to managing teams. But so you, uh, you may be not talking about uh, best practices, but you, you may be talking about like rules of engagement. So I'm, I'm just curious if you could share, um, you know, what are those rules of engagement? Uh, or, or at least what uh, companies should uh, should consider. Yeah, that's um, that's a good one. Well, managers need strategies and tools for how to deal with things. You know, um, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people promoted who are great performers, who know the science, who know the economics, who know whatever it is that makes them stellar at their job but who don't know how to lead people. 
it's not intuitive. It's something that they need training on. And similarly, they need to know how to identify comments, behaviors that detract from the goal of creating inclusion, how to handle it, what the escalation process is. I have clients who, after doing a lived experience survey and realizing that there was some egregious behavior within their organizations, went ahead and put in uh, confidential hotlines for reporting that kind of behavior. Hasn't been used hugely, but it's been used. And it's identified ethical concerns as well as DEI concerns. So that's always very important. I do believe that training is an important part of this so that we can give leaders and managers the tools that they need. And I think one of your clients, in fact, has done a really good job of that. And I know you're going to be asking me that question, so I'm not going to jump ahead of you. Why don't we jump to that question, actually? <laughs> uh, because I think a good uh, case study, right, would be a concrete example, right, uh, of what um, uh, one of your clients have done, I think, would be quite uh, helpful to to, uh, to address that topic, you know, how they foster that uh, culture of equity and inclusion, I think, would be helpful. So I know you can mention the name. Uh, maybe you can, you know, you can share the industry and tell us a little bit uh, what uh, they did and uh, the challenge they, they were facing and, and how you um, helped them tackle it. Right. Well, first of all, it was my client only through, through through you and your organization. It was really your client. But this is a, a rather large airline industry that based in the United States that had undertaken a lot of work at headquarters and within the U.S. on DEI. And we know that companies that have primarily white American traditional C-suite and board members, in other words, don't have a lot of diversity, often don't see the diverse needs of their workforce. This company was an exception. They had a very uh, bright leader who was leading the charge, who was very committed, and the senior leadership was very committed. Uh, with the help of your team, we put together a series of five training modules on creating awareness, creating understanding, learning about unconscious bias, identifying what inclusive behavior is about, and the last module was for leaders. I was so impressed because they rolled this out to all of their Latin American and Caribbean employees and leaders. And what really was so gratifying to hear was how important this was being received by, how importantly it was being received by the Latin American and Caribbean employees how they felt valued, that they weren't left behind in this effort. And things came out that were notable. How stewardesses were feeling as second-class colleagues when they were in jump seats in the U.S., traveling in the U.S. How transgender employees 
felt they needed more understanding. And we know that in the United in in excuse me in Latin America, we don't have the same race issues that we have in the U.S., but there is a lot of colorism. And so we addressed things like that. We addressed sexism, machismo, which is very common in Latin America. And it was so fascinating to see one similarity with the United States and, and Europe in that the white male employees honestly had never witnessed anything that a woman or of a woman of color was experiencing as inequitable or uninclusive. And having those same employees, you know, not just a training session, but a discussion with breakout groups, coming back and sharing what they've learned, this leads to greater awareness. It's one thing for me to tell you, hey, you know, got to be careful when you work with your female colleagues that you're not too protective. There's a difference between chivalry and machismo. It's something quite else for a woman of color in Guatemala or Mexico to interrupt her colleague and say, no, 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 wait a minute. This isn't something that exists outside of our airport. It exists here. And maybe it's not meant in a negative way, but it still has a negative impact. So exporting these wonderful programs with cultural sensitivity and language sensitivity, I actually delivered all the sessions in Spanish, which meant the world to the employees. It was really something important, but it was tailored, the examples, the research, and kudos to the company because they were the ones pushing for it, saying, we want examples that are for Latin America and the Caribbean. We want to address the issues that are relevant to them. We want to put data in our polls. That's not about Europe or Asia or the United States. We want it to resonate with them so they can have an experience that touches them. And the feedback was really great. And it was one of the most uh, amazing experiences I've had. It was really a blessing. Thank you for sharing that uh, story. That's, uh, that's great. So um, I'm, I'm just curious here. And that, you know, I promise that will be the last question uh, to ask you. Uh, is, so why Latin America as opposed to maybe another uh, region. And, and so what's next for this organization? And, you know, what do you think they're going to do next? Um, and, um, and I'm guessing it's maybe a, a never-ending type of project, right? It's uh, you're never actually done in that effort. But uh, I'm curious if you can share, if you know already, what, what they're going to do next and if they're going to expand to other regions or if they have other things they want to do in Latin America. Well, I'm not sure why they chose Latin America first and foremost. Um, perhaps it was a large population. Perhaps it was because they were embarking on a, an interesting JV. The, the truth is that this company has a great DEI, a strategic one. And interestingly, DEI sits within HR just like health and wellness does. Interestingly, this leader had been away for a little while and health and wellness stepped in to continue the work that he had been doing while he was away. 
And this has always been one of my big, I don't want to say complaints because it's not a complaint, more of a question, if not a criticism, that there's so many divisions within HR that aren't really strategically working together. There's so much synergy that health and wellness can do with talent management, with mobility, and with DEI. For example, within mobility, you you have to think about how are you sending diverse people around the world? Are they going to be included? Are we sending someone in the LGBTQ community to Dubai where it's illegal? How are we going to help them manage it? And there's a lot of interesting work being done in that area. Or if we're talking about DEI, what is the impact on health and wellness and how do we get health and wellness involved? So for me, it was very strategic to work with both health and wellness and the DEI team. And I think this is something that the more um, emotionally intelligent, if I can say, organizations are looking at coming together to have a more strategic way of looking. You know, we're doing global leadership development, for example, in L&D. Well, global leadership development should have a component on global competence, and it should have a component on inclusive leadership, on unconscious bias. We're doing something on, we're rolling out an EAP in Asia. How do we fold in some DEI thoughts on training or on support or on our e-learning platform? So there's a lot that can be done. It just needs to be thoughtful, mindful, and collaborative. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, um, for sure. So look, um, fascinating topic, complicated, multidimensional. Um, <laughs> uh, I think, um, I feel we could have a part three actually to this uh, podcast. <laughs> now that's, uh, only, only um, <laughs> so look, I think what we're going to do. So thank you again for, for, for your contribution and your insights. Uh, it's so, uh, so interesting. Uh, before we consider part three, we'll probably get a few questions and, and, uh, from our audience. And, and so we'll, uh, uh, we'll get back to you. Stay tuned. But, um, in the meantime, have a good uh, rest of the day. Thank you again, Mercedes. And, uh, hope we get to connect again soon. Ditto. Thank you, JB. It was great. As always, a pleasure to spend time with you.